the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As we head into Hour 2, I am uh, delighted to bring back a guest we had on a couple of weeks ago, uh, Daniel Galerter. Dan is a writer and entrepreneur living in Connecticut. You can uh, read a lot of his stuff over at American Greatness. His most recent piece there, Why Aren't We All Socialists? Well worth your time. And uh, as a young uh, conservative uh, writer, I asked Dan last time he was here if he would talk to me a little bit about his generation and uh, what what parts of conservatism uh, resonate with them, why people of his generation, he's about 30 or so years old, uh, appeals to them, what, what makes them conservative and what can they say to fellow young Americans um, to help bring them on board. And he gets into actually some of this in his essay, Why Aren't We All Socialists? Dan, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. How are you, sir? Hi, Seth. Uh, very well, thanks. Thank oh, you for having me. You bet. I want to spend some time with you on this question or series of questions in your essay. So before we do that, I know I did this with you last time, but let's reset the table for the audience. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, how and where you grew up and came to be doing what you're doing. Uh, certainly. I, uh, I grew up in Connecticut in uh, a very uh, less liberal environment, but uh, in a conservative household. So uh, my family made sure I got sort of a more, I suppose, traditional education to counteract what I was getting in school. Um, I studied music in college and went off to uh, start software companies afterwards. Never lost the fascination for uh, conservative principles, but had abandoned politics for a long time until the recent election uh, made it seem as though uh, we, generally speaking, that is the people, ought to be more involved. Uh, Dan, uh, is do you do you talk much about your family? I was just going to mention them. If you don't want me to, I won't. But uh, I didn't know. Uh, uh, I certainly go. go yeah. Ahead. Well, I, I just should point out I have known your family for many, many years. I have known your dad for a great, great many years, and have counted him not only a close friend and a teacher. The audience may know him by his name, David Gilerter. He is uh, the writer of some of the most important books. Uh, of our lifetime, including uh, a book that I think is maybe one of the most important books of the last century, Drawing Life. That having been said, Dan, uh, you come with uh, you come with great credentials. So it becomes the question first and foremost: Did you um, were you always conservative? Did you you grew up in a conservative house? I get that, but were you always, as far as you remember, politically conservative? Well, I, I suppose so, but um, in the, the course of growing up, and I think this is something that, that people tend not to think about, um, you may think that you're conservative when you're a very small child, or you may think that you're liberal, um, or you may, you may think that you believe in God, you may think that you're an atheist. In fact, when you're a very young child, you really don't have the life experience to answer these questions. Uh, so I think that one has to, um, no matter what one is as a child, one still has to go through this adultifying process, and it's only once you've gained a little life experience that you can honestly 
be one or the other. Now, I always was aligned with conservative ideas when I was younger. Um, this had a lot to do with my education. My, my father used to read to my brother and myself every night little extracts of uh, stories about great Americans and, and uh, from American military, military history and so forth. Um, but it really wasn't until uh, later when I grew up and got out into the world that I had a chance to put some of these principles and theories to the test, and then I became, I think, a true conservative. Okay, fair enough. I mean, as an adult and as you're flying alone and living a negotiating life, that becomes more true. What For an individual, it becomes at least more serious, their political choices. Why aren't we all socialists? The left is no longer on the outside looking in. They're running the show. They can't stick it to the man anymore because they are the man. It's an interesting point, and I thought about that a little bit uh, myself. Uh, how are you a counter-revolutionary um, when 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 you're in charge? Um, how how do you how do you call for revolution when you're the power? It's like a funny scene out of um, out of I don't know if you ever saw the movie Oh Brother Where Art Thou, but the incumbent governor's advisor says to him, "Why don't we run on the reform platform?" And he says, "We can't run on the reform platform, you idiot. We're the incumbent." So uh, it, it feels a little bit like that, yeah? That's that's exactly what it's like. But uh, the left cannot sell itself on the, the results of performance, and they, they really can't sell themselves, I think, terribly well intellectually either. Their main appeal has always been as a revolution in opposition of whatever the status quo is. Mm-hmm. And that's why Mao had to have the idea of a permanent revolution and why uh, the Soviet propaganda term was normalization after after the Russians moved into another Soviet satellite country like Czechoslovakia in and, and 68 and took it over and, and Sovietized it utterly. There could never be a post-revolutionary period. The revolution had to continue in perpetuity to mask the fact that the left was actually in charge and mm-hmm. making a complete pig's breakfast of everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, 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 and what your piece counts on... Why aren't we all socialists? What your piece counts on is is a, is a is a is a portion of, if I understand you right, is a portion of the American population that will self-educate. Perhaps someone respects the way you did. Perhaps in some respects, different ways. They will self-educate so that by the time they are thirty or forty or fifty, they may undertake their own study of American history or they might start doing their own research and realize, as you write, they got cheated. Uh, They got cheated because they were taught about 1619, but they don't know anything about 1776. This is part of your thesis, yes, that this will happen? Yes. It's – I hope it will happen. Certainly, uh, I think among my friends, my generation and younger people, generally there is a palpable disappointment in the education that we've been given. Well, we recognize it's, it's not really an education. We have been tricked. And as the, the educational system stretches out the time that we spend in school to encompass more and more years, and now, of course, it's standard that everyone has to at least go through a four-year college, um, but it seems almost as though this is designed really primarily just to, uh, to keep us out of the workforce, to keep us actually from thinking and learning. And, uh, and we get bored with that after a while. Unfortunately, we have uh, burned up all of the years when our our minds were most supple, when we were really most eager to learn and had the time. They burned up those years with nothing whatsoever, but but at least uh, we're interested in learning. And so, yes, many of us are going out on our own 
seeking answers. That's why, as I say in the piece, I think there's this tremendous upsurge of popularity in, in um, short history videos on YouTube and so forth. It may not be a lot, but it, it's all many of us have. Now, you probably are able, given, you know, you grew up in an academic household and a household that was committed to serious study and learning and education, you were probably pretty able to understand um, from a pretty young age what it was when you were being taught rot, when you were being taught something that wasn't right. And you probably did a lot of self-education and a lot of, you know, secondary research, I'm guessing, like a lot of curious children do. But you described an education system where you would see its deficits and you would say, well, I'm, I'm feeling cheated. We've spent uh, three weeks on 1619 and nothing on 1776, let's say, as, as one example. But you know what? There's a whole – isn't there a whole c- – coterie of your of of your contemporaries that don't think that way think of like alexandria ocasio cortez as an example someone roughly your age she would not look at her education and say it was limiting right uh well that's that's true and i think uh to an extent it requires um a, a degree of willingness at least to to look at the other side of things which not all of us have it depends a little bit on the environment now if if of course there are uh, some conservative principles in your household, you're forced to look at the other side of things because when you go to school, everyone around you disagrees with you. Mm-hmm. And so right. I had that experience very early on. And as a result, I mean, I think that there have been studies showing that um, people who identify as conservatives are, are better able to, if you ask them, all right, explain things from the other point of view, pretend you're a liberal and and, and explain what their views are. Conservatives are actually much better than that because we have more of the exposure. Um in, in some cases, in the Ocasio-Cortez cases, they may have been totally insulated, and it really may never have occurred to them that one could honestly come to another point of view without being an actually bad person. Oh, I think you're right. I think they're growing up in a cave, and anything that those who leave the cave tell them about they think is myth. Um, but, But the question becomes then, shouldn't we take all the more seriously – the efforts behind censorship and cancel culture because it'll create more AOCs and less use, I think. Dan, can I, can I take us to a commercial break and pick up on the other side? Absolutely. We'll be right back with writer Dan Galerner, his most recent piece, Why Aren't We All Socialists, available at amgreatness.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're tired of paying those high-utility power bills, you want to talk to my good friend, Solar Sandy. Solar Sandy is the woman who brought integrity to solar in Arizona. One of the great differences between Solar Sandy and other solar companies is not only her integrity, but that she also actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. So important when going solar that you do it the right way. And Solar Sandy is the right way. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back into your pocket. When you go solar, Solar Sandy will pay 12 months of your solar payments, any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months, and her, the first 50 families will receive a $1,000 signing bonus. That's right. No solar panel payments, no power bill for 12 months, and a $1,000 bonus at signing. There's no better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. 
solarsandy.com. Again, that's asksolarsandy.com. Delighted to be talking with Dan Galerter. He is a writer, and uh, his piece is uh, mostly available at American Greatness. Why Aren't We All Socialists? His most recent piece. And as a young conservative, I'm curious as to what animates his conservatism and what we can learn from him in talking to other young people. You're roughly the same age, Dan, as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and you both see the world very, 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 very differently. And you say in part you think, if I understand you right, in part you think as a conservative you're subject to understanding um, liberal liberal theories, liberal teachings for two reasons. One is the teachers are mostly liberal and the other is the culture is and you can't avoid it. There is a third reason which you pointed to which is – we tend to be a little more intellectually curious and in knowing what the other side is thinking and seeing. A, we can't avoid it, but B, we are curious about it. Whereas the other side, the other side of that equation is not true. AOC has probably never read an issue of Commentary Magazine. Let's say she's probably uh, never read uh, an op-ed uh, by you or your father. Let's say, or a book by you or your father. She's just unaware of what the liberal argument is, uh, what the conservative argument and line of thinking is, as most liberals are. Which makes me worry if I, if I have this right, that you know they, they basically live in a cave. It makes me worry that with their power, one of the things they are doing is solidifying this, uh, shall we call it, learned ignorance by engaging in censorship and cancel culture. Is, isn't that going to harden the socialist grip on intellectual power in this country? Uh, certainly to an extent, and, and that is a great danger. I think that the, the essence of, of socialist views or leftist views of the sort that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has is sort of a reluctance to turn into an adult. And, um, you know, I think, although I'm, I'm not uh, certain about this, but I had, I had seen that uh, despite the fact that um, Cortez worked as a bartender. I think she, she wasn't paying her own rent. She lived in her uh, apartment paid for by her father or something like that. You know, there's a, there's a difference between people who sort of dabble in real life versus people who actually have to go out and mm. get a job and so forth. And, uh, and the people who have all that spare time to meditate on the ills of the world from their very comfortable, expensive apartments and so forth uh, come up with all sorts of great solutions and in a very childish way. They always imagine that they are the first person ever to have encountered this problem, the first person ever to have thought of that solution. That's why socialism is appealing to them. It, it relies on a total ignorance of history. And uh, for those who are fortunate enough to be totally ignorant of history, it, it makes uh, a sort of appealing superficial argument. Um, if you are willing to go out and, and examine history of, of you know previous attempts at socialism and so forth, it, it doesn't... It doesn't stack up so well, but you don't even need to go out that far. As long as you are really uh, self-sufficient and on your own and paying your own tax bills, that's already a great incentive not to be a socialist. Talk to me about how this I think the audience will find very interesting. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about how you open your piece because it gives a sense of the leftist march, what we call the march through the institutions. Talk to us about this KGB agent, Besmanov. Yes, yeah, so Yuri Besmanov, a very interesting uh, man who was a, a defector from 
Soviet Russia, and he was formerly a propagandist for the KGB. And uh, in 1984, he gave a tremendous interview, which I linked to in my piece, uh, and which is at least temporarily still available on YouTube. And before they take it down, I really would advise everyone to go and watch it. And he explains the the communist methodology for for uh, undermining and taking over other countries. And he says, you know, people think of the KGB as being a, a secret spy James Bond type organization, and that's not really it at all. In fact, the vast majority of what the KGB does is uh, is intellectual subversion, so-called active measures. And the idea there is um, totally overt operations. And, and it's, a, it's a four-stage process. This was all very well worked out, and they, they do it over and over again, but their main focus was America. And he says the, the first stage, which takes the longest, is demoralization. Now, that takes 15 to 20 years because that's how long it takes to destroy one generation or to educate one generation of American students. You, you pump uh, Leninism, Marxism into what he called their soft heads, and, and you, you infuse them with it when they're still children. You surround them with it. And by the time they've grown up, they have, as long as they've never encountered anything else, they are, uh, as, as Bezmanov said, permanently contaminated. So no matter what you do, no matter what you show them, what evidence you present, that socialism is a terrible and destructive system, they will be impervious to it. They will all be little Alexandro Ocasio-Cortezes. And the, the stage following that is the destabilization, which she says takes a, a few years, two to five years, when you, you undermine the, uh, the basis of uh, belief in the economy and structures of government and so forth. And then you're ready for stage three, which is the crisis, which is the short-lived event of uh, complete change of, of who's in charge, usually violent, essentially a little revolution. And then stage four, you enter normalization, which is the permanent revolution I talked about earlier. The, um, the worrisome thing about this is, as you point out, it, it looks like it's all happened. But the other worrisome thing is, is how true it rings. For example, when this KGB propaganda says stage one demoralization takes about 15 to 20 years because that's how long it takes to pump something like Leninism into the hands, excuse me, into the heads of of American children. He said 15 to 20 years. Well, it's it's a scary proposition because uh, how many years have 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 students had fifteen years of that now going on, Daniel? Right, so we have multiple generations. Right, right, exactly. So Reagan was onto it as well when he said it takes a generation to lose freedom. When did our schools become Marxist-Leninist in the main? I don't know, twenty, thirty years ago, maybe something like that. Before that, they were already left-wing. Let's pick up on this and what it's leading to, if we can, on the other side of this break, and how we can reclaim education. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Dan Gilernter. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have with us Daniel Gilernter. Writer um, in uh, over on the, on the East Coast, one of our uh, great uh, young conservative writers, publishing at American Greatness. Why aren't we all socialists? Is his most recent piece. He has a strong 
new piece coming out tomorrow that ought to raise some eyebrows. We can get into that a little bit if you want. But, uh, Dan, you were talking about these um, <clears throat> these phases of, demor- of, uh, of, of conversion of, uh, of Soviet uh, Marxist-Leninist propaganda, and you were using a KGB agent, Bezimov, uh, Bezimov's uh, 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 lecture about this. He's, by the way, trending on Twitter, which is interesting, Mr. Bezimov is. But you said it takes about – he said it takes about 15 to 20 years – uh, to work a student's soft head, an American student's soft head, to accept Marxist-Leninism. It's been going on a long time now when you think about it, right, Daniel? Such that we graduate six, roughly six million high school students a year, another six million college graduates a year every year. We've been doing this now for about 30 years. That's a lot. That's a lot of students educated in the ways and thoughts of Marxist-Leninism. That's right. And this is actually where I see the, uh, the hopeful thing, um, despite that. Uh, because, I mean, if um, Marxism-Leninism has been pumped into people's heads for so many generations and, and we have actually reached the, the end of the first stage, which Bezmanov much feared, where all the major institutions would be controlled by, by left socialists, by, you know, people who, who like Marxism or at least don't oppose it, uh, and, and we see that in America, not just in the case of the universities and, and uh, elementary schools, but even in the case of media, and, and now the large corporatists also yeah. seem to be all on the socialist bandwagon. Of course, they're tremendously wealthy socialists, which may lessen their credibility somewhat, but no, they seem to be very much on, on the uh, socialist and now the pro-China camp. So with all of this opposed to uh, young people who are receiving their education these days, the extraordinary thing is that there are any conservatives at all. And right. there are. Right. And I think that's, that's a, a tremendous indictment of the intellectual weakness of the socialist argument, that despite all these huge advantages, yep. they still can't convince even really half the population to believe in them. Yeah, I've said that for some time. It's an amazing thing when people on our side complain about an election. Um, it's an amazing thing when you look at the culture around us that Republicans get elected anywhere to dog catcher. It's, 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 it's a miracle. So what, what backs that up? What, what, what gives us that miracle that leftism isn't as strong intellectually as we think it is, or that Americanism actually is as strong as we think it is, or is it something else? I think that um, when you have spent, and this isn't a universal thing, that's why there will still be uh, people who are in the totally persuaded socialists forever camp. But um, for many of us, after having spent 10 or, or 15 or 20 years in this educational system and coming out on the other end, all you have to do is is ask yourself, what have I learned? What do I actually know? And and oftentimes the, the quantity of things you've learned in school are so pathetically small that it, it, it seems obvious to you that there must be something else that you weren't being told. Hmm. And, and as far as the um, conservative, I, I should actually say the American philosophy goes, as that you should examine all points of view. And, and that's always the attitude I've taken, and I have you know the Marx Engels reader on my shelf and, and Max Weber's book on the spirit of capitalism and the Protestant work ethic, which he knows nothing about. But nonetheless, I read these things, so I'd have a basis of understanding the other point of view. Um, but um, if you have been educated from the left 
perspective and only the left perspective, um, they won't let you access the other point That's of right. view because it will it will wake you up. It That's will right. ruin all their good work. That's right. And and so all they can tell you is the very tiny number of select pieces of, of information, which they think will give you a sense of education without actually giving you an education. Right. Um, however, if you question that and if you go out on your own, that's why Facebook is working so hard with their censorship and Twitter and, and so forth and, and YouTube restricting what videos you can watch because they know as soon as someone becomes curious, as soon as he seeks for answers by himself, he is lost forever to socialism. Right, right. And, and, and that in part, too is the uh, success of these five- and ten-minute YouTube-type lessons, aren't they? The Dennis Prager University videos and things like that. Uh, you may recall some years Wonderful ago. Wonderful stuff. Right? You, you and your dad and me and a few others were trying to do that 20 years ago. Do you remember that? <laughs> we were a little too early. I do. I do. <laughs> we were a little too early. Prager figured it out. Dan Galerter, you are a um, – you are a prize and a gem, and it's great to have you. Uh, love to have you back soon. Godspeed to you, and love to your family, sir. Thank you so much. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. My friends at Trades Unlimited want you to know that foam roofs are great options for many homes, and that's where they specialize and come into play. Not only foam roofs help insulate <coughs> from our extreme heat in Arizona, but they also help insulate your home from exterior noises, and most importantly, they protect your house from water leaks. I've had the privilege to go down to their offices at Trades Unlimited, go to their warehouse, meet the team. They are great people quality people for the job they do and the kind of person they hire. You can trust Trades Unlimited. That's why they're in their 26th year of business with an A-plus rating from the BBB. Most of their business is by referral or previous customers, and that always tells me a lot about a company, but we love helping push that word of mouth out here too. Quality and service is what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. The hot summer sun, it's perfect for foam recoats. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends over at Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775. That's 480-483-1775. Or find them online at tradesunlimited.com for all your roofing needs. Rob's in surprise. Hi, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice. Long time no talk. <clears throat> um, yeah, I was I was listening to Tony earlier, and then, of course, Dan uh, Galerter. Now, is he the son of David Galerter? Yes, that's correct. So David okay, Galerter yeah. is his dad. Okay, because I, yeah, I, I've read a lot of his stuff yep. over you know, the last couple of years. Maybe one of the smartest men in America. Yeah, well, he's very clear-headed, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. But, but he got me to, well, he and Tony both got me to thinking about you know, what I, I think I call the grand deception or the big lie, it's it's sort of uh, related to the race issue. And, you know, keeping in mind that uh, didn't the current president talk about wanting to unify everyone? Or did I miss that somewhere? Um, anyway, I, I, I just keep asking myself, you know, why has America been bombarded by this whole race issue for so long uh, and you know why aren't republicans uh, 
waving the BS flag and fighting back. And I, I think about, you know, why is systemic racism being promulgated when, first of all, it's not true. And uh, black violence on black violence, which usually takes place in the inner city, with a few exceptions. Uh, there, there was a murder, I think, in Indianapolis recently or yesterday about a 25-year-old black man killing his wife and three kids or something, which is pretty weird. But even more importantly, um, why is it that nobody can really talk about it? I mean, we, you know, we get bombarded with the, you know, Kenny Abraham's How to Be Anti-Racist book and 1619 Project and all of this crap, and I, I just don't know whether, you know, we're cowards whether the media suppresses things, and and why <clears throat> why isn't uh, and why is this whole thing an issue? Number one, why is it being thrown in everybody's face? And it seems to me that things have been good until uh, the uh, Obama administration took power, and then all of a sudden, race became a huge issue when it hadn't been for what fifty years. And I thought we had gotten past all that. I don't know. The timing is perfect. E- right even now. Barack Obama, even Barack Obama thought we had gotten past a lot of that. He gave a speech in 2007 at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And Larry Elder likes to talk about this and make the following point about what Senator Barack Obama said at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. But he was talking about how the previous generation of civil rights activists like Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis, who I believe was there at the time, Congressman John Lewis, they were, he called them, the Moses generation who got us 90% of the way to the promised land. 90% of the way to the promised land. Mm -hmm. He said, we're the Joshua generation who have to take us the next 10% of the way. And as Larry likes to point out, that was before Barack Obama was elected president. Do you think a country twice electing a black man president cuts into that 10 percent a little bit? Does that get you, you to, does that get you to maybe 93, 95, 98 percent of the way there? Well, I, I don't know. See, that's part of the problem. Because that was the measurements to stick. That was the goalpost. Can yeah, this country and, ever elect a black man? Well, and again, he was half black, but that's a technicality, I guess. But but the idea is, you know, best qualified in that respect. But it just seemed like um, for so long, and again, I spent much time in the military with mixed races, and everybody got along great because everybody was a team, and everybody uh, worked together as a team, and color and uh, religion, none of that stuff mattered. And then, you know, all of this stuff in the last, well, in the last year, I guess, and then uh, during the Obama administration, it just seems to be thrown in everybody's face, uh, and nobody really wants to talk. It's sort of like, you know, nobody wants to talk about uh, why this is happening, why now. Well, I think, I, think about- there's, I think there's two reasons for it, honestly, why no one's talking about the 177 homicides in Chicago this year, better than one a day. Mm-hmm. Better than one a day. And, and that's yeah. just Chicago. I think there's two reasons that the mainstream and the elites don't want to talk about it. And I think maybe three. I think first and foremost, it has to do with highlighting a failure. You know, I don't know if you've ever made a major mistake in your life, Rob, but it would oh, be many. like reminding <laughs> everyone of it all the time. The, oh, okay. the Democratic Party would be 
be showing, the journalistic community would be showing the failure of 40 years of liberal left policies to highlight this problem. That's problem one. It's mm-hmm. ad- them admitting their mistake, uh, as I hypothetically suggested you may or someone would do if they made a big business error. It would be like them talking about it every day. They don't mm-hmm. want to admit to it. Two, I believe that there is a um, there is a um, an indictment on the Democratic Party, as there is on liberal left policies. These are all Democrat-run cities. Third, I think there's a soft bigotry of low expectations. I really do. I really oh, yeah. think that there is in the liberal left mindset a view that we can't do anything about this. This is the behavior we have come to expect, part and parcel of the reason we don't think they can even get voter IDs. That it's, right. it's, it's a very paternalistic, I believe, racist view of minorities. A version of that was when the American newspapers would not publish the Muhammad cartoons in 2006. Not an American newspaper would publish them for fear that it would lead to violence. Again, this a priori view that people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they tell us all Muslims aren't extremists, but they can't publish a cartoon lest the extremists take down America, right? Um, That's right. It, it, it's, 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 a soft, it's, a, it's a soft bigotry of the expectation that all Muslims are violent. Same thing. And mm-hmm. this is the way the left thinks. It's not the way we think. It's not the way we mm-hmm. conservatives think. Right. Uh, we 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 can we we conservatives are pretty proud of the fact that if we had our way, there'd probably be about a third more black Americans in this country than there are today. Because yeah. because because of another liberal left policy that has taken about one out of five from us in the practice of abortion. Absolutely. Also, and with this I got to hit a break. Hold on, hold on. I got to hit the okay. break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Robin, surprise is on. We were talking a little bit about the uh, the effort to uh, <coughs> call uh, to label all of America systemically racist, but what problems? Society wants to focus on when it comes to that or not. Uh, eight shootings a year from policemen in very complex situations is what they want to focus on, whereas we want to um, not subtract from that or detract from that, but really would like to look into why we are losing, in fact, thousands of black lives a year in our inner cities and not to police, not to the police. Right, Rob? Oh, yeah. And and actually, you know, I would much rather talk about Jay and the Americans than this kind of thing. But, you know, I can't help myself. Um, I think part of this is a piece of a larger, you know, propaganda indoctrination, which goes into uh, what Dan was talking about. I mean, you know, the contamination phase, uh, it almost seems like we're still in that phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, the de- demoralization phase, well, yeah, I get demoralized every time I hear about this crap or read about it. Uh, the crisis, well, I think we're living it right now. I don't think we're yet at the normalization. God, I hope we're not. But I think that, again, the, the Soviet guy uh, that he was referring to, uh, you know, most thinking people would see very clearly 
that this is exactly what's been happening over the last 40 years mm-hmm. in the U.S. And should be very concerned. Most Americans who are thinking Americans should be very concerned about this because it's really true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it needs to stop. I Yeah, I, I'm not certain which phase we're at now either. And I guess I think we're really very close to where we were somewhere around 1859 <laughs> on a confrontation here of great um, consequence. Hopefully not mm. physical or military. I hope not. Right. I don't think so. But something of great consequence. I, I think we're somewhere on around 1859. And the reason I think that is because I think the pitch is as fevered as it can get. Um I, I, you know, when you have your president, your vice president, and others in your administration daily denouncing their own country on the one hand, while uh, the majority of the population, by dint of race, is being told they are responsible for societal ills, while the real societal ills go unaddressed. I mean, I just, I just don't know how much longer, how much more elastic we can be on this, Rob. Um, well, yeah, w- without I the house falling. Yeah, I agree. And and again, this all has to do with the grand deception, yep. the lie, yep. uh, because that's what they're promulgating. And people are still buying it. You bet. You bet. Thank you, Rob. Anyway, God thanks. bless you, sir. I'm Seth Liebson. I want to tell you something interesting having to do with free speech in Arizona when we come back. We'll be right back.